Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper. And man, I've been having a great time the last couple of days. I'm down at Branson, Missouri, and everybody in the world, I think, know where Branson, Missouri is anymore. But uh, I'm at the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders Conference, and we're at Chateau on the Lake. What a beautiful lake. But I have a fellow veteran, Vietnam vet, with me by the name of Larry Cloud. And Larry's an old Vietnam vet, and we've been sitting around chit-chatting and talking and reminiscing a, a little bit about, you know, Larry, that's been over 50 years ago. It has been. doesn't seem that long, but it sure has. It sure doesn't. But, boy, uh, again, I'm glad you made it home. I'm glad yes. I made it home. Yes. Welcome home, by the way. That's great. You, you bet. But Larry's also, other than being a Vietnam vet, he's a member of the uh, Sac River Cowboy Church. He unfortunately goes to church with Larry Whiteley, <laughs> a mutual friend of ours. <laughs> Larry introduced us, and I, I love Larry to death. You know, he's been so good to me over the years. He was, would you call him a big wig? Used to be with Bass Pro. He was pretty big. He, yeah, was the, he, was the voice of, he was the voice of Bass Pro, I think. Uh, that's a big job. And old Larry, bless his heart, he, he wore about 14 hats there at Bass Pro. And when he was getting ready to uh, retire, he talked to me. Uh, we were at a conference. He said, Bill, won't you apply for my job? I, I know my mouth kind of dropped open. I just kind of stared at him for a minute. And he's What's wrong with you? I said, what kind of fool do you think I am? Who in the world would want to follow Larry Whiteley? <laughs> Uh, that's true <laughs> absolutely true he just got that beautiful mellow voice and everybody that's ever been to one of the bass pros all over the country has heard his voice and uh but larry you know has had uh, i guess a radio program forever and it went all over the world i think he told me at one point it, it went to like 186 countries or something yes i didn't, I didn't know there were that many countries i didn't either <laughs> he may have made that up you know <laughs> that's pro- possible too but larry put me on to you i guess he thinks well of you i don't know i don't know you well enough yet to know what to think about you but well we'll change that yeah we'll change that but you're also have done a lot of volunteer work you love to fish that's obvious and uh you were up you fish this morning did fish this morning who'd you fish with i fished with uh the editor of crappie now magazine Oh, okay. You lucky that guy I didn't get to go fishing. Yeah. I had to work. Richard you know. Sims, that was who it Richard was. Richard Sims, yes. okay. Yeah, well known crappie guy, uh, fishing guy. But you've been doing a lot of volunteer work over the years, and it's with Charlie Tutu. Now, that's, I was asking you how you spell your name, spell his name, you said Tutu. <laughs> <laughs> Just the way it sounds. But, uh, this Char- Charlie guy does a lot of functions for veterans, and you were telling me early that his father was in Charlie Company in Vietnam, and I don't know a lot of 
history about the Vietnam War, although I was there for a short period of time. But I knew that Charlie Company was in some of the heaviest action of the war. So uh, this guy that you deal with, Charlie Tutu, what, what's his story? He wasn't a, he's not a veteran, correct? No, he is not a veteran. He is in a wheelchair. He's a, uh, but he runs that organization from his wheelchair and his computer. And he has no boundaries. He can get anywhere with his electric wheelchair that you can go. But uh, his name is Scott, and uh, uh, his dad was in Charlie Company, and that's why the, they named this organization Charlie. And the 2-2 represents the, supposedly the 22 veterans that commit suicide every day. So, uh, you know, whether that number's right or sure, wrong, it it's fl- close. It fluctuates, yeah. yeah. But that's that's a grabbing sort of thing, and particularly, you know, two vets sitting here and, and thinking about that because, uh, you know, we all have issues. Once you've been in a war situation, it 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 never goes away. No. You know, no. and regardless of how much action or how little action you saw, you still were in contact with people who, who did were in the heat of the action, you know, and it's just something that you never forget. And even the things that stick in your mind, you know, like the smells. Yes. Yes. You know, it, uh, the stuff you see whenever you're 19, 20 years old, you know, no one should see stuff like that. But, you know, but that stuff will always be there. You yeah, know, it always has been yeah. and always will be. But the difference in a Vietnam soldier and a soldier of World War II, the average age of the soldier in World War II was 26 years old. Yes. Uh, in Vietnam, it was 19. Right. Uh, there's a huge difference in a, the you know, the mentality, the uh, maturity of a 19-year-old and a 26-year-old. A 19-year-old is barely out of high school. Yes. You know, he's not old enough to drink le- no. legally yet, but no. uh, we send him off to war. Yes. And that just seems like such a crazy setup to me, but nobody asked my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well. But, uh, you know, we did what we were called to do, and that's important, but... Uh, Vets are important to us, to to you and me, and and to a lot of people in this country. And uh, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if you experienced it, but I had uh, I got spit on a few times when I come back to Vietnam, and it just made you feel so small. You know, you just did not uh, feel like you were appreciated. And and you know, uh, I'm sure you've had this happen to you as well, Larry. Uh, in last few years, in particular, if somebody finds out, you know, you were a Vietnam vet or a soldier during that era, I've gotten lots of apologies uh, for the time, for what was said to us and that sort of thing. And people do thank you for, for your service. And first time somebody said that to me, I didn't quite know how to take it because I just, you know, I felt like all the World War II guys, all of them were big heroes, and we were being kicked around like a dirt bag, you know. Yeah. So it made us feel pretty small. But tell me about uh, Charlie Tutu and the programs that you guys put on. And there are functions for veterans, and it's a faith-based Christian organization. Correct. Yes. Why? Why Why that type of organization to deal with their troubled vets? Well, it's, you know, it all would start with uh, uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you know. Uh, once you acknowledge him, you know, you got part of your battle 
already won there for you. So exactly, yeah. and and I admire you guys so much. And there's quite a few programs out out there anymore. But anybody that tackles something like this now, any anybody could sit down and talk to a vet. Vets need friends. Yes, but a lot of the uh, the veterans that you guys deal with do have problems with PTSD post-traumatic stress syndrome so it's a it's a tough job from the very beginning and i know i've dealt with some vets i two years ago i had a afghanistan vet 35 years old that lived for me with me for a while uh needed lots of help uh wasn't even signed up for his veterans benefits an alcoholic you know and just on and on and on the problems but i eventually found some of his family and we uh they eventually got him his veterans benefits he needed a lot more help than i could give him yes but there are uh, a lot of veterans that can be helped by people just like you and me right so what do you do in this organization to help my th- my flame the claim of this organization is just to be a good listener uh these guys want to tell their story they uh and that's part of the battle hey, know, oh they, absolutely and the reason i think that i didn't have that ptsd is whenever i come back my wife was very she wanted to know everything that went on she was very interested in what i did over there and if i had a bad night we got up and we talked about it and i talked it out back at that with my wife so i don't claim to be a a counselor or anything like that but i am a good listener and i know where they're coming from because i've been there right so that's that's basically what i do i just sit and listen and you know can relate to part of the stuff that they're talking about Uh, exactly and i think that's probably uh, maybe more important than anything because we came back with so many frustrations because, uh, man, I want to be a a hero, at least in the eyes of the public, like my father was when he came home from World War II, and I never received that. No. You know, and it, uh, again, I said it makes you feel small, and it really did. And, and then we left, both probably had buddies that didn't come home, you know, and then you, you're questioning the whole system why did my buddies give their lives for something that people are not even proud of, you know? Right. So there are lots of, I think, unique problems to uh, vets from from that era. and But to be able to talk and express, and my situation was, I was, uh, I know all the officers that went into Cambodia, anyway, signed a 35-year silent contract. And I had a very unusual situation. I was only there for a few weeks, and I'm thankful for that. And and uh, but I I was basically a reserve officer at a, off at a summer camp and then wound up going for just a few weeks, and uh, none of my family ever knew it because I was off at summer camp. Yeah, I communicated with them every day. I could still do that even though I was overseas for that uh, short period of time. But I literally suppressed all of us, and I saw a lot in a few weeks. But I literally suppressed that, and then. 35 years later, I'm sitting in my recliner watching the 10 o'clock news, and it just jolted me to the my very soul, man, the core of my heart. And they announced that, hey, the guys that were in K-12 
Cambodia from 1970s to 75 can now talk about their experience. Well, it just, it hurt. I, I don't know, well, who do I talk to, you know, or do I ever even mention it? And uh, I didn't, it took me a while to do that. And then I went through a period of my life, real tough situation. I had my first nightmare about uh, uh, Vietnam and Cambodia. And it got bad enough that uh, I kind of got in trouble at work and uh, wasn't a very nice guy for a while. But I had a dear friend who was a vet that uh, kind of got me by the shirt collar one day, and he said, you know, Bill, I love you to death, but you're losing control of yourself. And we took off work the next day, and he took took me to a doctor and got some medication. And, and then uh, either I didn't understand or the instructions weren't clear. I went off the medicine cold turkey, and it's strange how your brain reacts to chemicals, but I started having horrible nightmares, you know. And then it, it took a while to get that under control. But my my wife uh, actually started telling me, uh, she'd wake me up during the night, you're kicking me. Well, I'm not kicking you. <laughs> what do you mean I'm <laughs> kicking you, you know? She, she started showing me bruises on her shin where I was kicked her with my heel and she woke me up one night billy you're fighting again you got you know you got to go to the living room go to the couch well i'm still think she's pulling my leg a little bit about the third night on that couch i kicked sideways with a big oak table there i thought it broke all the toes <laughs> on my foot so it was really real but you know thank the good lord I, I don't very seldom ever have a nightmare like that anymore but every time i do larry you know who i think about the other vets that are still struggling with these sorts of things. So you mentioned that you uh, you primarily are, are a good listener, but do you ever do any activities, these guys, take them fishing or anything like that? Yes, there there is uh, there's all kinds of stuff, and it's all free to vets. If you went, uh, Charlie Tutu has a website. Mm-hmm. You can go on their website. There's an application there to, to sign up, and then you... You know, all the activities is, will come up that they do, and they have deer hunts all over the United States. They they just got back from four or five days in Colorado. Wow. Uh, they had a moose hunt in Maine. Uh, lots of, we're going in first part of October to uh, Roaring River, which is a state park here in Missouri. Yep, trout fishing. It's trout fishing, and we're going to be down there for three days, and, uh, you know, in that three days, you know, you go out and fish in the morning, and then maybe in, in the afternoon, guys want to sit and talk under a shade tree and talk, you know. So uh, that's what it's all about. Sound like a tremendous program. Well, Larry, hold that thought there. We need to take just a short break to hear from to some of today's sponsors. But uh, folks, don't go away. This is pretty interesting conversation that every American needs to hear. We'll be right back. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Huzal Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating, and you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on a beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent, or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. 
There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip. Whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else, chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But Who's All Valley, there's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Boat Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Tanicomo Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Boat Fishing at 573 263 8016. Again, that's 573 263 8016. Be sure and shoot straight. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoors. I hope you enjoyed that first segment as much as I did. Uh, Larry Cloud's with me, and he's from down uh, in southwest Missouri and goes to church with Larry Whiteley of Bass Pro. You know, that's a cowboy church. And, Larry, you know, I love the cowboy churches. I go to Deer Creek Baptist in Cuba, Missouri, and, boy, is that a fine bunch of people. I've laughed so many times, you know. I'm, I'm really not a cowboy as such, but these guys are all farmers and ranchers and that sort of things, and they come in with their cowboy boots on and and their cowboy hats and i kind of chuckle about the only time they take them off is when there's a prayer you know <laughs> and it's just pretty la- relaxing but my wife and i were well, the first times we went we're sitting there and we heard kind of something clicking on the floor looked around there's a little blue healer come right in the church oh yeah, okay. yeah we have lots of hair dogs in the church yeah <laughs> Well, well, it's a it's a different sort of atmosphere. The little dog went over and he hopped right up in a chair right next to his owner and sat there. It just looked like he's listening to the sermon just like everybody else. I said, he must be a good dog. <laughs> but but what fun! But Charlie, here we are down uh, on uh, Tiny Como Lake, uh, Lake Chateau here, and boy, just a beautiful, beautiful place. And of course, everybody knows Branson, Missouri, and it's quite an outstanding place, famous for country music. But you were just sharing with me in the break, Branson is special for some other reasons. Yes, Bill. Branson uh, has a lot of uh, live country shows, and uh, for those Vietnam vets that were never welcomed home, in in a lot of us weren't, and uh, to whatever extent that was. Uh, Branson, Missouri, the shows here in Branson, they welcome the vets home every night. Every show on the strip in Branson has a salute to veterans every night of the week. Wow, how incredible is that? Now, I mean, I didn't know that, and and I live in Missouri. Uh, I don't get down to Branson that often, but do you know of any other place in the United States that does that? I do not. Well, that's that's an incredible, you know, merit to them. And hey, we salute them for do, yeah. doing an incredible service to our vets. And you know, I guess we all. I mean. I sometimes feel like I even feel guilty because I don't do enough, you know. But 
one thing that I do habit of doing, and I've seen a lot of other Vietnam vets do this, we be sitting at Denny's or Shoney's or wherever, and I know being in Rolla, Missouri, off, quite often sit young soldiers coming to uh, Rolla from Fort Leonard Wood, and if I catch, particularly if I catch a young soldier by himself, it's real easy to pay a few dollars for a meal. Yes. You know, and they just look at you. You're from outer space or something, you know. <laughs> but That's so great. Yeah, it really is. It get to just stand there for a couple minutes, you know, and share with a young man or young lady that's in the military service and look them right in the eye and tell them how much you appreciate what yeah. you're doing. Yeah. And, uh, of course, it's it's – I guess helps me because they get to say, hey, I did a little bit of time too and I understand a little bit about what you're going through and wish you the best of luck and I appreciate to the bottom of my heart what you're doing. And we know freedom isn't free. No. I mean, here you and our hour today, and I think this every day I'm alive, how should I really feel? How do I really feel enjoying this freedom that someone else paid for. Correct. And I'm, I'm, I know you feel that way. Yes. I, I've only known you here for a few <laughs> hours, but, you know, just the vibes come that uh, yeah. you're a very patriotic person. And uh, whether we agreed with everything that went on in Vietnam or not is not the issue. Yep. You know, it's, it's just the fact that uh, people made a sacrifice. They have for the entire uh Ever since our country's been in existence, we continue to do that, and we're going to maintain freedom. We've got to continue. Correct. Making the sacrifices. Exactly. Yes. Well, how, you know, looking back, what years were you in Vietnam? 68 and 69. Oh, you were there. I wasn't there until 71. I mean, just a few weeks in 71, a few weeks in 72. So it's been well over 50 years. That's a long time. Long time. Long yeah. time. But, how, you know, being the age we are now, you know, we're a little more philosophical than we were when we we're 19, 20, 21 years old. Yes. Things just kind of hit you in the face at that age, and you may respond a number of different ways. But if you're trying to explain to your own children or grandchildren, how do you go about it? <sighs> That's well, a tough question. <clears throat> it is a tough question. Uh, you know, I have two grandchildren, two kids, and uh, they never really asked me about my service. They're proud of what I did. You know, they're proud that I served, mm-hmm. but they never asked. Uh, I took the honor flight, uh, oh. and my son went with me. That's and, awesome. And uh, we had a good time, and... And he asked me a lot of questions while we were at the wall, the, the Vietnam wall. Yeah. And uh, so we got to share some stuff there. But uh, other than that, they they don't ask. That's not their their thing. So Yeah, uh, my, my children or grandchildren don't either. I mean, the subject comes up once in a while. Uh, Veterans Day particular, you know, because we always have a little ceremony at our, our church to recognize vets. Yep. And uh, sometimes they'll ask a few questions, you know. Now, my son didn't tell me one time that uh, uh, oh, we were talking about the current situation in Afghanistan and all that sort of thing. And uh, he told me I was a bit paranoid because I fought in a 
a war 50 years ago. Yeah, that'll make compare noise. <laughs> yes, it will. <laughs> you know. And, and, and if he asks you a question about it, you can remember everything 50 years ago exactly like it was yesterday, just about. Oh, exactly. I mean, especially, you know, particular situations because yeah. they just don't go you, away. You don't forget that stuff. But I, yeah. I mentioned, I, I guess this just affected my gray matter or something, but the smells that were there. You know, it's like napalm in the morning, yes. you know, and the stench of uh, latrines and that yes. sort of thing. That thick, heavy, muggy air yes. was just uh, just almost choke you yeah. at times. And that doesn't go away. No. And I remember the most miserable night of my life, sitting in a hole in the <laughs> ground, you know. And it's raining. And I, I was so scared I hadn't slept in three days, you know, but exhaustion eventually catches up with you and it rained so much that night that uh, i mean i woke up next morning with water almost up to my chin never woke up all night and i couldn't see and it scared me i didn't know if, i thought maybe i'd been hit during the night i started moaning and groaning you know and carrying on the guy the next hole over told me you know cooper if you don't shut up i'm gonna shoot you in the head <laughs> <laughs> and then we laugh about those kind of things. You know? But what happened? I'd, I'd that old camo that had insect repellent in it. It rained. I'd rubbed and I'd rubbed it all off. Mosquitoes bit me so bad on the eyelids. My eyelids, my eyes were swell shut. <laughs> but you remember that? <laughs> oh, it wasn't funny then. I'm glad I can laugh now. Plus, I had leeches all over me. You know, and man, I was so miserable. I said, Buddy, if you want to shoot me in the head, go right ahead. <laughs> uh, but it's good that we can laugh about such miserable, miserable situations. But I don't know what you did when you returned home. And, and I've often thought, I'm such a weakling, you know, because guys spent their year over there. Some of them re-upped three or four times, and they were real maniacs, I guess. But I can remember getting off that jet, coming back, and... Uh, Asphalt didn't taste very good, but I, I kneeled down to kiss the earth, man, yeah. just yes. in that short period of time. Yeah. All right, Bennett, how old were you when you were over there? Uh, 1920. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You went back kind of a naive young man. Did you feel like you'd grown up when you I, came back? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I had the world. Yes, it was just completely different. Yeah. Looked at the uh, United States with different colored lenses yeah, in your right. Eyes. I'd changed so many truck tires, I felt like I could just lift a car up and take the lug nuts <laughs> off by by my hands. And <laughs> oh yeah, but it, one of the most difficult things I've I've dealt with uh, after my military experience is to listen to people complain. Wow, I hope I didn't complain like that prior to being in the in the military. But everything here is a privilege that's been paid for in, in blood. Yes. Really. Uh, so I kind of have a routine every morning. I got two little Yorkie dogs that kind of help out with that. Uh, we're up time or two in the night. They they love to go outside because the front of my house looks like a, a gravel bar, you know. I actually wrote a column for a dozen years ago. So 
uh, called the Gravel Bar Gourmet. It's just about <laughs> cooking on a gravel bar. But we cook out there a lot on that, that gravel in front of the house. Well, you know, there's lots of smells and spills and that sort of thing. So the little dogs love to go out there and root around and chase frogs and whatever at one thirty, three thirty in the morning, that sort of thing. But And I'm usually up. No later than 4 o'clock, but those little dogs will sit right on the couch, and they can see outside. And they, I think the little devils are smart enough to know when it gets, gets light enough that the old man ought to be able to see. Well, we take a long walk, you know, <laughs> for 30 minutes or so, out back through the garden and by the pond and into the food plot and around the trails in the woods, you know. But I can't, I can't do that. Without remembering every yes. morning, yes, every day of my life, yeah, and occasionally a name will pop up in my head, and I wonder what would life have been for Don, yeah, you know, yes, and Don was a little buddy that grew up uh, grade school. Uh, boy, we were tight little buddies. He loved to fight. He was a little guy and just wanted to fight for the fun of it, you know. But Don Carlisle, our senior year in high school, wanted to go to Vietnam so badly that he dropped out of high school three months before graduation. Six months later, he was gone. You know, just that quickly, a young life snuffed out. But he just, he just wanted to be a soldier so bad and represent his country and do good things. Yeah. And he literally sacrificed himself to save some other guys. Yeah. And wasn't even out of high school, yeah. you know. So the American spirit lives, man. A lot of people, you know, like to put our country down. A lot of people that live here are not in favor of our country, but we don't hear from the silent majority. No. We're still pretty strong Americans, we I are. think. We are. And, and we saw it uh, just this evening. You know, we were at a dinner here at the... Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Riders and Mr. Larry Whiteley. I have to give him credit. You know, he recognized. I, we, you and I laughed so hard because Larry was in the Navy. And of course, he had the Navy vet stand up first and then the <laughs> Marines and the Air Force and the Coast Guard and didn't even mention the Army. <laughs> we were all getting ready to throw stuff at him. You know, and I guess somebody to- told him that he had the army vet stand up at two big laugh you know we had to tease larry a little bit but uh everybody's so proud had a beautiful young lady sing to us and uh man you know i kind of looked out the corner of my eye there were a few tears in some eyes so uh we love america love everything it stands for it's a good country and uh i think the greatest country on the face of the earth yes praise I, the lord Absolutely. Blessed by by the Lord, for sure. Absolutely. I just hope they don't call me to go again, (laughs) because I'd probably go. (laughs) You know, when 9-11 came along, you know, if they would have taken me, I would have went back, you know. Oh, there's no doubt all of us would have. And I've had this theory, though. You know, I'm a pretty wise guy in my old age. Good. (laughs) (laughs) You're proud of me. uh, But I I think we've got the system completely backwards why don't we have to send our young men and women off off the world you and i have had a life yeah. why can't you send us now yeah besides that we'd be a whole lot have a whole lot less patience and we'd clean yeah. things up now yeah. right. we'd be a little, little smarter <laughs> than what we did yeah <laughs> absolutely well larry it's been an absolute joy to have you on the program it's always 
I, I feel like I gain a little bit as a human being every time I talk to a veteran and I can look into a guy's eyes and know what he feels. And you're just doing an outstanding work. I don't care if you are just a listener. I, I, I think you're pulling my leg just a little bit. I, I think you're a whole lot more than a listener, you know, because uh, uh, even with the listening, and I'm sure you say a few words, there's an interaction there that heals. And that's the bottom line. And I know you care about the physical and mental state of that vet that you're visiting with. But step farther beyond that, you care about their spiritual well-being as well. Yes. And, you know, it doesn't take long for another human being to figure out, hey, this guy's there's a little bit more to him than just trying to be a nice guy. Because we know that they've already been to hell. But we know and we believe, we're Bible-believing Christians, you know. But we want to make sure that uh, in their last days and when it's all said and done, that... Uh, they can enjoy the best life ever. Correct. I've been blessed beyond means. Oh, me too. Yeah. And, and of course, we know that we don't deserve it. And uh, you've heard the old joke, I won't go to heaven, man. I just don't want to be on the next load. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, I've had a good life here, and I want to join it as long as I get. Once bet. again, uh, that's Larry Cloud. I'm Bill Cooper. I'm going to take another break here. But, folks, if you're carrying the groceries in, driving down the highway, we still got a few more things to say. We'll be right back. Bass fishing on Lake of the Ozarks. Look no further than Big Ed's guide service right there on Lake of the Ozarks. Big Ed Franco has been fishing on Lake of the Ozarks most of his life and has been guiding for almost two decades. I've fished with Big Ed had a great time. He's a lot of fun and certainly knows where the bass live. You can call Big Ed to make a reservation at 573-692-6710 or go to BigEdsGuideService.com. And on the flip side of his business card is Bass and Baskets. That's bed and breakfast that he and his wife, Deb, also run right on the banks of Lake of the Ozarks. You have a beautiful place to stay, great meals, beautiful outdoor decor, and you can walk right out the front door, get on Ed's bass boat, and head out to fish. You can call for the bed and breakfast at 573-692-6737 or look them up at BassandBaskets.com. Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, where it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Daryl Hyman and crew out of Cuba, Missouri, dedicated to finding you the outdoor property that you've dreamed about all your life, or if you've got one you need to sell, they'll be happy to take care of that and hook you up with a great outdoor customer as well. These guys are famous for getting, listing, and selling some of the finest properties in the Midwest. So be sure and get a hold of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, and you could find them at this, I love this, catchy phone number, one 800 by dirt Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm Bill Cooper. In the first two segments, I was talking with a veteran. And, uh, folks, I would encourage you to help veterans out anytime you can. I'm getting ready to go to a function called Fishing for Freedom over at Truman Lake. And we'll be there for two or three days. And going to be about 175 veterans there, I think. 
Uh, so it's going to be a grand event. <clears throat> be lots of people fishing. Be a good time. And I actually get to speak one evening. I can't imagine anybody wanting to listen to me. But I've got another veteran here with me today, dear friend Damon Spurgeon. And uh, Damon and I go way back. We've done a lot of things together. We've hunted and fished, and I love getting in his boat <clears throat> floating down the river with him. Pretty good guy. hate to brag on him. But, Damon, we're right in the middle of bow season now. It's taken off, and I hadn't even gotten out yet because I'm <clears throat> buying a home and selling a home and working on a home, doing all kinds of work. I'm having withdrawal symptoms, man. But you've been out already. I have. I have. <clears throat> you know, and it's, it's one of those rare years where, Kind of getting cool when it should, <laughs> and I don't know what that means for later on if we'll have a, a white Christmas or not. But yeah, I've, I've been out. You know, it's obviously never enough, but been fortunate seeing deer every time. And uh, you know, it's it's. I'm just at that point in my life where I don't even have to see anything. <laughs> That's a sign of old age, man. You're you're mellowing out. <laughs> Between that and everything hurts, and hair grows everywhere but my head. So. Yeah. Welcome, welcome to the, hey, that stays alive. Yeah. But you know what? It's it's still good, man. Still move about and get outside every day, take a walk every day. Still enjoy the great outdoors, man. But, you know, there's been some crazy things going on in the outdoors. Uh, everybody's talking about the walleye tournament up north for the couple of young fellows. I guess got caught cheating. Uh, hard to imagine. And uh, I did a little research on that uh that deal and uh, those young men have been caught once before so you wonder what the consequences are going to be now well and you know it's a i don't know what i mean obviously in watching the video there's two or three different versions of it it's basically (laughs) the same thing just different angles and i had watched one i guess it was this morning and then there were several articles that were published with it and they had dug a little bit deeper and you know with First things first, there's the amount of money that they had won in the past year. I'm fishing for the wrong fish, I guess, because <laughs> a lot of money. I think 400000 was the total amount that that team had accrued. Wow, that's a lot of money. It, it is. And, you know, they, they did it the right way, I guess, the, the walleye tour, because they're starting to, you know, if, if someone wins or there's credible proof, they said they don't. They don't do it off gossip or hearsay, but they have a retired detective that comes in and gives the polygraphs. Uh One of the individuals had failed the polygraph the previous tournament. And, you know, in order for this team, the team that got caught cheating to get team of the year, they had to break like 16, 34, I think, pounds. And they had the fish to do it without the weights. Wow. And they did it anyway. But... I'm glad that someone spoke up. I I hate to say it being, you know, in the industry myself, not so much the tournament side is, you know, essentially you're looking at um, everything's going to change. You know, they're, and even if they don't need to, I think there's several, there's several other ways that cheating happens, I think. And, you know, it's, you hate to see it do that, but with that much money, it's you have to make sure it's legitimate. Exactly, and 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 that's the point. Uh, I don't know if you can remember as well as uh, me, uh, because I've been around ever since the bass tournaments took off. You know, and cheating was a fairly regular and easy thing to do when it first started. But you know, all of us, uh, 
hey, we've played sports, you know, there's cheating goes on there. And it, I'll remember all the college fiascos with the steroids and whatever, lots of things, you know. And it's kind of human nature, I guess. People like to win, and some just don't have the scruples about how they win. And so it, it's it's drifted over into the fishing world as well. And we hate to see that because we, we get pounded enough as outdoorsmen, as hunters and fishermen by the people who are against it for whatever reasons, you know. Well, when a, a fishing team or a hunting team or a hunting movie star, you know, whatever, <clears throat> gets a black eye because uh, of ethics, it reflects on all of us. It does. It does. You know, and, it, and, and not the, you, you, a lot of folks need to realize when there's that much money at stake, you are – 100% taking food off their children's plates. I mean, that is their livelihood. By the time you figure in gas for commuting to these different tournaments and lures and you name it, I mean, and then to know, well, how long have they been doing it? And I think that if I was a competitor and that happened. Oh, absolutely. That's, that's what would be going to Sure. The second place team or the previous tournament, I mean, it, it never is going to stop in – you know, I think the silver lining will be that the walleye tour, walleye in general, walleye fishing, I think will spike just mm-hmm. with social media and, and how this world revolves now. You yeah. know, um, it's a heck of a lot easier to be an introvert, you know, stay on your phone or whatever. But, but yeah, you hope you see that. But again, I don't think there's. There's enough sound-minded people. I think they'll get on the right path. Oh, I, I certainly believe that. And I, I would just hate to be in those poor boys' shoes because the level of the, the rate at which they're being ostracized, you know, is pretty severe. But it's hard to feel sorry for them, too, on the other hand. You know, I had, I had seen the video initially, and all I could think was the look on that guy's face in – Somebody had commented that he's got to have brass balls to be standing there doing it. Yeah. And I said, I think the, I, they would make me feel like he thinks I'm dumb. Yeah. You know, by you bringing up five 20-inch fish and they weigh 33 pounds, <laughs> yeah. what are we missing here, you know? And, well, I had a conversation with another young man today about this very uh, topic, and uh, he made the comment, well, experienced fishermen, they get a – walleye or bass or crappie x number of inches they pretty well know what it's going to weigh and some of them even got charts available this bass is 23 inches long he's going to weigh between 5.6 pounds and 6.8 whatever you know so uh, i would say that the judges there must have picked up on that pretty quick like yeah yeah, for sure in 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 the the most recent article i I had touched on before they said exactly that they had interviewed the you know, the hype man, I call him, the guy right. with the microphone and weighing the fish. Right. He said he would call those guys friends. You know, they spoke, if not daily, on a weekly basis. And previously, when people thought they were cheating, they had looked at the fish, and, and I forgot what it was. They had passed a polygraph before the individual failed the next one. And they wanted legit. Oh, I'm, they had a cameraman. That's what it was. They had a cameraman in the boat and saw every fish they caught, and they won. And so he said it put everybody's mind at ease, and then the next time it was so <laughs> that this happens. But. Well, I think the way that everybody that competes against them, it'd be like you and I, if we just made a bet, you know, and we go out and fish, 
And here we got the greatest confidence in each other. I, I think that's imaginable, you know. And I think when most people, when they go out in tournaments, they have good feelings toward their, their friendly competitors and everything, you know. But for somebody to deceive like that, man, it really hurts. Uh, you feel like, I mean, you have been deceived. You've been betrayed. And this guy looks you in the eye and shakes your hand, does everything else. And yet he's sort of stabbing you in the back at the same time. And, and the, the thing that kind of gives me hope is you take um, Bassmaster, you know, or, or any of those tournaments that have been around for years. You've got MLF now, which is an incredible how that works. You know, the, they measure them, weigh them right on the boat, and officials with each competitor. But if you do it the classic way where you've got the, the trucks, you know, pulling in and then they weigh the – it's a big spend. It's, it's a lot of money for those communities. Things The fish have to be alive. Same with crappie masters. You're penalized exactly. for every dead fish. These walleye were all dead. And so what they would do after all these tournaments is they had individuals that would volunteer their time, clean the competitor's fish, and then they would go to the local food bank. Uh-huh. And it's easier to cheat when the fish is dead absolutely to you know if the fish fish isn't going to stay alive if it's got you know two pounds of dead. <laughs> but hopefully you know that kind of changes it and, and they had said those two individuals of all the competitors never wanted their fish cleaned oh. they wanted those you know to kind of go with slide by huh? mm-hmm. uh-huh okay yeah uh, just a bad deal all around. Well, there's been another hot topic uh, you've probably heard about in the last couple of weeks. A young lady, I think, out west who was kind of, uh, I guess, getting into the uh, outdoor industry, trying to make a name for herself, and she was wolf hunting. And uh, as the story goes, and it's been all over the press as well, uh, she killed somebody's husky. Really? Yes, and call it uh, call it a wolf pulp. A wolf pup, but she had gone so far. She had the husky skinned out and everything. <laughs> yeah, but there's another case in point of where the uh, hey outdoors people are made to look shady, whatever. Hey, she made an honest mistake, but uh, wow, that's a horrible mistake to have to make and have to suffer the consequences. You know, if she's trying to get into the outdoor industry. Uh, probably done. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 it's easy to say. What's social media? You know, everybody, <laughs> Absolutely. Everybody's after that singular fish or singular deer. And mistakes, I shouldn't say mistakes. Well, I shouldn't say mistakes. It's, it's, it's something that they have no problem doing as long as they look good on the Instagram <laughs> or get those followers. And, and I think in order, I, I don't know, to, to be in this industry, I guess, is there a roadmap? There there's there's really not because if, if it's such a diversified industry and for people from all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of religions, every, everything, social and economic statuses, you know, uh, it's a real cross-section of people in this uh, country. So, no, there's not a book that you can pick up that's going to tell you how to be the latest and greatest in the outdoor industry. And we know social media has a tremendous impact, but this was a clear demonstration of social media kickback. That's a, I, 
I got to. You'll have to look that one up. But all kinds of crazy things happening in the outdoors. But as we started this segment out with, uh, I mean, we're right here, man. Both seasons heating up. You know, October's a crazy month. I just finished an article for uh, for Diggercast talking about uh, uh, trying to kill a buck in October. It can be well the toughest uh, situation you'll face. But in a couple phases during that October from beginning to end were some of the best opportunities. You know, opening day, you know yourself. First time you climb on that stand for the season is one of the best opportunities you'll have to kill a buck because they're probably still in their uh, same summer patterns, uh, coming to a food source, and you sit up the right place, got the wind right, you got a good opportunity. Then things kind of go to pot after that, you know. Uh, hey, Cooling weather, leaves are falling, food force sources are changing, so bucks are changing their pattern a little bit. And people talk about the October law, but is it really a law? Not so much deer activity is in a law. Deer activity is changing. And then you get down to the last uh, hey, few days of, of October. Man, it's getting up there towards that magical date. Juries made November the 5th famous, you know, as the time in the Midwest when uh, the rut's the hottest and heaviest. So, hey, great and crazy things happening out there. It makes it all the more exciting, I think. But you and I had quite a conversation in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'd, I'd like for you to share your story. Well, it's, <laughs> you had just got back from, from the conference in Branson and, and won that raffle and had, had gotten a bunch of gear that you, that you didn't need. One of them was a harness, and I'm not sure to make. But it was right. a, good one, a very, very high quality one. Now, I admitted that I'd never, I'd, I'd worn one on occasion here and there on sketchy stands, but they weren't that, the, the, it was basically, you know, like donning a parachute, but twice as confusing because yeah. you get it right the first time, you spend, you know, 12 hours trying to get it right the second time. So, I, I, I've never, I've never will forget that. Whenever I was walking back to my truck, I thanked you for the gear, and you told me, promise me that you will wear that. And I said, okay. So I had, once we got that initial cool off, I had some time. I thought, well, I'll go sit in the stand. I had checked the stand, you know, and it was to the naked eye in good shape. And climbed up the stand, and it's your normal, you know, hang-on stand with the vertical ladder and things like that. And, and I'd sat up there for a couple hours, and it, I, I, when I stood up closer to dark, um, I felt like I was leaning to my right, the platform itself. And I thought, nah, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm old. <laughs> I don't drink, so I, I couldn't use that. But yeah. it's, it's uh, you know, the, the, I just, the more I would try to notice it, I just, I, I, essentially I knew something wasn't right. So it gets dark, and, and I packed my gear up, and I lowered it all down, and I got to step from my left to my right to get to that vertical ladder and, and essentially bear hug the tree to get on that ladder. And when I planted my right foot and put all my weight on the right side of that platform, it went. And... If anyone's ever had that happen to them, your stomach's in your throat literally and figured. I mean, it scared the crap out of me. And how that stand was set up just 
very, I, I don't care how hard of an individual you are, you're going to break something, and it probably is going to have major, if you're able to walk ever again, major implications the rest of your life. Exactly. And I was hanging there, and it racked me really good. <laughs> you know, still, still feeling that, but I'm here. I'm talking to you. Exactly. If I wore that, I, I wouldn't be, I'd be in a hospital. Yeah, and, and and the thing is, and and I was really shocked that you were not a harness wearer. But how many people out there, uh, hey, do wear them, but skip a day, you know? And I have three personal friends, outdoor riders, the people that ride about tree stand safety, you know, uh, skip days. Oh yeah, and how many, you know, growing up, um, my dad was a pipe fitter for forty one years. Yeah, a pipe fitter, and between the two of us, when it comes to your basic carpet, we couldn't build a doghouse. Yeah, and we hunted out of two-by-four stands. That we oh, yeah, ourselves. yeah. And look at that, no harnesses, 25 foot in the air. Yep. And it, 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 I'll never climb a tree ever again without a harness. Well, just the conversation you you and I had, and I gave you that harness and the safety line to go with it, you know. And I meant this, you know. I mean, I care about you, but you've got three little boys at home. You know, you got a family. You're in the middle of life. Lots of things going on. And, man, that's just, just as you found out firsthand, it's just insurance to keep yourself safe, sound, and alive and able to go back to your family. And the next morning, Cooper, I actually, I, I, I had to know what happened. So it's the stand itself, I'm not even sure to make. Um, but it's been there a while. Yeah. several years and i had strapped you know the seat where it comes from the platform up there's three or four straps on it mm-hmm. and that's when i say i check the stand that's all i checked squirrels have a tendency to chew through those straps oh yeah so what that had done is left that platform you know if it went it went there was nothing holding it up and i, I couldn't for the life of me until i climbed up the ladder to look figure out what had happened. Well, the, the welds on that little small diameter tube steel had broke. And that's one was probably broke when I felt it leaning and then uh-huh. gave when I put all my weight on it. On and one I'm side. 230 pounds, so. And you were up how high? Oh, uh, 30 foot. Wow, that's a long ways to fall. Now, I had two friends that fell 30 or 35 feet, broke them up pretty good. They both left, took years uh, to get back anywhere close to normal and still suffer from it have one gentleman my age uh, who had been a navy pilot in vietnam shot down survived all that come home hunting on his hog farm i think a 12 foot climbing stand no harness like us old guys do he went to sleep rolled out right on top of his head 12 feet lots of damage you know but damon man i'm glad you're here and i hope you learned your lesson and, oh, and you're and gonna wear that harness from now on but the figures are of those of us that go up trees to hunt deer, uh, harness or not, within our, our lifetime of bow hunting, gun hunting, whatever out there, deer hunting, up a tree, one in three are going to fall. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, it, and, and mine was out of my hands. It was and it wasn't. Falling asleep's going to happen. We're all humans. That's going to happen. Right. You know, and, you know, basically, I had friends that had fallen. I had fallen myself. You know, but I had umpteen parachute jumps, and I was bigger then. I survived all those. But after I, you know, literally, whenever I'm hanging there, I'm looking down, and it's like I'm 30 foot in the air, but how the contours kind of go, 
Uh-huh. You, you might as well add another 20 to that. Wow. And, you know, there's, uh, again, I don't care how hard you are, you're not going to, something bad is going to happen. Exactly. And the point we're trying to make, folks, is just be sure and follow those safety procedures. Check those stands. Recheck them. You know, we th- hey, we get in a hurry and we think that uh, everything's going to be okie-dokie, you know, but that's not always the case, as Damon just found out a week or two ago. And, again, I'm glad he's here. Damon, thanks for being on the program. And, uh, hey, and I hope that people take your message to heart because you was that guy. You was that guy, but hope I've got you converted. (laughs) Well, from Damon Spurgeon and myself, hey, we live our outdoor dreams. We hope you'll do the same. I'm Bill Cooper, and this has been Living the Dream Outdoors podcast. Hey, guys, this is Frank Cox with Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. Hey, have you ever considered a career in real estate? If you have, but you don't have your license, this is your opportunity. So each month, the Living the Dream Outdoor Properties team is giving away a free seat to the online training that you need to take in order to get your real estate license. We would love to have you join our team. All you got to do is go to our website, livingthedreamland.com, and then click on the Our Team button, and then click on the one that comes up under that that says Join Our Team. On that page, there's an application form. Just simply fill that out and get in contact with a member of our team, and I'll be giving you a call. We appreciate you, and uh, good luck. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, the Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bow Fishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, Cardiac Mountain Outfitters, Mary's County Bank, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm. We live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. 
You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.